Miracle on 34th Street, the 1947 classic American movie that my mother forced me to watch every year, is considered by many to be one of the best Christmas movies ever made, including my mother, who, as I mentioned, forced me to watch it every Christmas since birth. But it isn't just my mother who loved the film. It won three Oscars the year it came out, including Best Original Script for credited writers Valentine Davies and George Seaton. Seaton also directed this masterpiece, as it's come to be known. And Edmund Gwen, playing Kris Kringle, won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. It was one of my mother's favorites as a girl, and she would always tell me the stories of how it was played on TV in the 50s and 60s when she was growing up. How her family would gather around the old black and white TV box and watch it every year. My grandmother serving Christmas treats, cookies, cocoa. I must say, listeners, I was never that fond of this film. Never found it as good as, say, It's a Wonderful Life or something similar. I don't know why, but I was always a little bit bored by it. But then, I put it on this year. And I don't know what it was, but something about it worked for me this time in a way it had never done before, all the way through. I was completely bought into the show. I laughed, the jokes still working in almost every scene. In fact, I'd say this film's greatest strength is its careful nuance, which makes it enjoyable both for adults and children. The jokes are political, social, intelligent. In fact, rewatching this Christmas made me realize what a great script the actual movie had, how tight it was, how clear, how clever, how serious it took the material, despite it being about Santa Claus. The Oscars are well-deserved, listeners. It's heartfelt story about belief, faith, what makes one believe in magic, or at least a type of spiritual magic, Christmas magic. If listeners follow what I'm saying, what I couldn't get over more than anything else was how good the young Susie was, played by Natalie Wood, a child actor who is clearly beyond her years in talent and ability. I couldn't get over what a tough role it was for a child to play, and Wood kills it, crushes it out of the park, the requirements much more than any child role I'd seen in this type of movie. Even her excitement at the end of the film. I was overwhelmed with joy as I saw her run through the large house, her gift from Santa. It's impossibly so charming, so clever, the way it has worked into the script at the very end, that I couldn't believe how effective it was on me. Maybe I was just in a great mood. A mood that could have easily let me think the worst movie in the world was great. I had just come back from seeing The Nutcracker when I put it on this year, on a whim, a few drinks in me, but I don't think that's the case here. I think what happened is that I finally reached a place where I was mature enough, not just personally, but artistically, to be able to see what was so great about this movie. It hits all the Christmas story requirements. But it also uses a courtroom drama aspect that isn't expected and is actually quite clever in terms of writing. Fred Gailey, 
played with a heart-wrenching innocence and kindness by John Payne, the young attorney who has taken an interest in Doris Walker, Susie's mother, played famously by Maureen O'Hare. But the story centers on the child and the mother both having to learn how to believe, even just a little bit, a little magic. And this belief is often called childish in our culture, especially now. Every comedian has a bit about how lying to children about Santa Claus is bad, actually. And of course, some of those are funnier than others. But what those sorts of jokes and dismissals always miss is that faith and belief are fundamental parts of being alive. To believe that there is good in the world, but also to be able to imagine something bigger, something greater, more alive, more kind, nicer, more generous, anything. Believing in some sort of magic is required when it comes to things like this. That faith, the clash with reason, is the message. Many critics of telling children to believe in something like Santa Claus would do well to watch this film, see the message of faith and belief, its power, and not just to delude listeners, but to comfort, to aspire. It all begins with imagination. The idea that there is a man who tracks who is good and who isn't with a list. Santa checking it twice, works in more ways than just the obvious lie about reality. It isn't for control or to lie to the children when we tell them about Santa Claus and make-believe. As the film demonstrates with Susie and Kris Kringle as they pretend to be monkeys, Santa showing Susie how to use her imagination, a muscle she hasn't used her entire short life. It's about giving them a little bit of hope, a little bit of goodwill to extend outward, to believe that being good or even believing in good will result in something. This predates even the Christian mythology around Christmas. That's right, listeners. This goes all the way back to the pagans and maybe even beyond that. But this is often referred to as the spirit of Christmas. Another very important aspect of Christmas stories, listeners. And what this spirit means, boiled down to the most basic point, is hopefulness. Believing in anything is being hopeful. And Miracle on 34th Street not only shows us this with the characters, but embodies it as all good Christmas stories do. Even with the young teenage janitor, Alfred, played by Alvin Greenman in a very 1940s style, as he talks with Kris Kringle, his innocence, his pure joy, unselfishness, and Kris Kringle himself, Gwen, playing the most charming Santa Claus maybe ever put on screen, is shown in the same way, improving every life he touches. It isn't just that Kris Kringle in the movie is Santa Claus. It's that he is written as a character trying to do good in the world, help people, 
give them hope, and yet he is punished for it. This message rings through many Christmas movies and stories, but I couldn't get over how differently this movie hit watching it at the age of 34 than it did all the years previously. I nearly teared up when Susie got her house at the end, when the letters were being poured on the judge's desk. That little bit of mystery, of magic, that even the adults question if he's the real Santa Claus or not. It all works brilliantly. The cleverness of the script holding up almost a hundred years later. Even the politics of it. It's incredibly smart. The department stores arguing with one another, competing because of Kris Kringle's own generosity, his own goodwill towards his fellow humans, the jokes about politics, the moving parts as the court drama plays out. I often think about that scene in A Charlie Brown Christmas when he screams to the ceiling, can someone tell me what Christmas is all about? And then Linus gives his speech, right? But Linus isn't so accurate. In fact, he gets at the point but doesn't say it. It's this. It's the faith required to even have hope in the first place. Hope. A theme of this podcast now, listeners. I'm fascinated by it. It's Kris Kringle getting committed, and then nice, generous people helping him, not because it helps themselves, but because they know that he is innocent, that to lock up innocent people is wrong. To put profit over well-being is wrong. But more importantly, to have hope that anything can even be done about the wrongs in the first place. It's this hopeful feeling. And yes, I wish I had a better word for it, listeners. But it's merely just that. A hopefulness. A type of goodwill of the spirit. And I felt it radiating off the screen as I watched this movie for probably the 30th time in my life. It took me 30 viewings to see this film for what it actually is. How great it is. Why it has stood the test of time for so long and why it will continue to. And more importantly, listeners, just like while watching The Nutcracker or any other work of art, I felt it. I felt the movements and the joy and the hope and mystery that fills Miracle on 34th Street with its own meaning. And it's this feeling I wish to convey to all those listeners out there that this feeling is what is required for a Christmas story. Without it, it's just another movie, just another story. If you're hearing this, it's because you are listening to the free public feed of Heavy Board. To get complete, uncensored, uninterrupted, full access to this podcast, become a subscriber at patreon.com slash heavyboard. That's right, Heavy Board is made possible by subscribers like you. For less than one cup of coffee per month, you will receive private access to uncensored, full-length episodes, jerk shop, heavy bonus content, subscribers-only AMA episodes, bonus extended interviews, and more. Come join the conversation today at patreon.com slash heavyboard.